0: It is not lost on me that this morning is uh, kind of the final uh, gathering of uh, Christ's community here in this church, and um, yeah, I'm all in my feels about that, (laughs) so we're going to try to get through this uh, lesson this morning. uh, I actually, uh, because of sin, have to go to work uh, right after I get finished, so I won't be worshiping this morning in the service. But uh, as we're going through this lesson and learning how to steward uh, poor health, uh, I suppose that's worship as well. So let's go ahead and get started by prayer. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you uh, for these lessons. We thank you for the grace to learn uh, how to steward our life, how to, how to live a life that's poured out to you. Um, even in, as we're going to see this morning, uh, times of poor health. Uh, so we ask that you would illuminate our minds and, and uh, walk us through these uh, this lesson that we have prepared this morning. Uh, and that you would be glorified in our learning and in our doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at God's purposes for health. Because by God's grace, most of us are healthy most of the time. But of course, sometimes we are not. This morning, we'll be thinking about what it looks like to steward poor health. How do we think about the more chronic conditions that weigh on us for years? What about disabilities that we may receive? What about serious diseases like cancer? What about mental illness? If God is the owner of our health and our bodies, then we should consider how we act as his stewards in those times, as well as the good times. After all, as Job put it to his wife when she told him to curse God and die, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? It is an interesting question. How should we steward poor health? Why is it important that we answer that question well? And that's a question for the audience this morning. How, why is it important that we answer the question well, how should we steward poor health? Any thoughts on that? At some point, we all, it is a high possibility that our health will decline. (laughs) Any other thoughts? This is a little bit of what we're gonna get into for the next few minutes or so. We're gonna start by considering where poor health comes from. Then we'll see what implications that has for why poor health can be a part of God's good purposes. And we'll wrap up with some thoughts on being faithful stewards in these difficult times. So let's get started. Where does sickness come from? God created us without sickness. So when we read in Genesis 1 and 31 that creation was very good, we see a picture of unbroken perfection. But then two chapters later in Genesis 3, sin enters the world through Adam, and God curses the world. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that this sin and the resulting curse are the root and the source of all brokenness in this world around us. Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the chains of childbirth until now and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemptions of our bodies. Why is the whole creation groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now? Why are we ourselves even we who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, groaning inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption because of sin. But that's not the whole story, is it? In verse 20, we see that passive tense there was subjected to futility. Who subjected creation to futility? God did. So there's more of an explanation here than sickness came from sin. In verse 21, why did God subject his creation to this curse? So that it might be set free. So what's going on here? God is good, right? Why is he mixed up in something like this? To understand this, we need to go back to Genesis. God had given Adam and Eve some very simple instructions when he made them they were told in chapter 1 verse 28 to fill the earth with their offspring and to subdue the earth in other words to fill the earth with god's image in two important ways first by making lots and lots of images of god in their children some people are really good at that who like them would be made in the image of god and second to subdue the earth, to make the whole earth like this garden, the place where God dwelt with man. This command is a procreation command and a work command and a pastor command and a missionary command, all wrapped in one. I think we see that command fulfilled in, pro- in the prophecy of Habakkuk. 2 and 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. God is amazing, so make him known everywhere. Fill the whole world with his glory. Now with that command in mind, fill and subdue the earth, look at what God does in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve chose to sin. In verse 16, God curses Eve's ability to bear children. He curses her relationship with Adam. Her desire will be for the, her husband. Same word as in chapter 4, verse 7, when God tells Cain that sin's desire is to have him. That's a desire to control. And Adam will rule over her, not in a benevolent way, but an abusive rule. Then turn to Adam in verse 17, and you see the task of subduing the earth is frustrated also. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. How is this curse in the in hope that creation would be set free from bondage, as Romans 8 puts it? Because God is cursing our idols family, relationships, work, were all created as good and satisfying because they were all conduits uh, to the larger purpose of bringing God's glory to the ends of the earth. But in a fallen world, our temptation is to find satisfaction in them as dead ends. So God makes sure they won't hold up to those expectations. God in his good judgment God is good in his judgment, and he is also good in his mercy. I wonder if you've ever thought of the curse in Genesis 3 as God acting in mercy. In mercy, because of sin, he subjected this world to this curse so that its brokenness will never satisfy, and that will drive us to him. In that sense, when Ecclesiastes describes life under the curse as meaningless, could it be that life is meaningless by design? Perhaps the most loving thing God could have done once sin separated us from him was to ensure that we would not find meaning in anything but him. All that has some very important ramifications for how we face times of poor health. John Piper puts it well in his blog post called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Here's what he wrote. It will not do to say that God only uses our cancer, but does not design it. What God permits, he permits for a reason. And that reason is his design. If God foresees molecular developments becoming cancer, he can stop it or not. If he does not, he has a purpose. Since he is infinitely wise, it is right to call this purpose a design. Satan is real and causes many pleasures and pains, but he is not ultimate. So when he strikes Job with boils, Job attributes it ultimately to God. And the inspired writer agreed, inspired writer agrees, they him, they comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That's showed 4211. If you don't believe your cancer is designed for you by God, you will waste it. It's the end of that quote. We must stop thinking that our goal is is to get through the hard times so that we can have life back the way it was before. Instead, we must begin thinking that our goal is to accept what God has given us with eyes of faith. I'm sorry. We must begin thinking that our goal is to accept what God has given us with the eyes of faith, uh, knowing it is good for us. God's purpose is in poor health by saying see with the eyes of faith, but saying see with the eyes of faith is very different than actually doing it, right? If we want to be good stewards, we must assume that God's purposes and difficulty are far better than what we would have chosen for ourselves. But we can't simply make faith happen, can we? So how can we trust him? Well, in his word, he shows us how he can use times of sickness and disability to further his good purposes. And those visions of past goodness can help us believe that he has goodness for us in our own afflictions. So with that in mind, let's step through four different ways God can use poor health. This is not to say that these these are his exact purposes in your specific difficulties. And this is not to say that we can expect on this side of heaven to know what God is up to. But these should be good evidence on which we build our faith. So purpose number one, that we might hate sin. As human beings, we have a natural bias for sin and against God. But God hates sin. And we should long to do the same. Think of Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Not just I understand intellectually why this is suboptimal, or I know we really shouldn't do this. Hatred of evil. Well, to that longing comes sickness. In sickness, we stare down the pure unadulterated effects of sin in all of its ugly glory after all no matter the immediate cause, romans 8 tells us that all sickness is the fruit of the sin in this world and we can see this uh when you know you see the saints people that are just godly people i remember uh um, one of my mentors uh one one of the men that uh um, was very much a rock in my life, especially in, in my Christian w- walk. Um, he fell sick very suddenly. He was a leader of a church here in town. He fell sick very suddenly and died out of nowhere. It was just unexpected. Um, and, you know, we were at, uh, he, we were at his uh, home-going celebration. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, there was just this sense, even uh, his pastor you know, kind of, uh, when he was expressing, you know, his thoughts and feelings, he was like, you know, what is going on? Why are we here? You know, uh, it, it, it was time, it's times like that, you know, and we all have uh, people that we know who, uh, well, we may have people that we know that have gone through, you know, similar circumstances. E- either, you know, they were taken suddenly or they walked through something for a long time. And it makes you sick of sin in a way that, you know, you just normally don't see. So when we encounter poor health, be it in us or someone else, take it as an opportunity to improve your hatred for sin. Purpose number two, to wean us from self-sufficiency. Here's how Paul speaks of his own afflictions in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8 and following. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, Of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely on our but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again so why was paul afflicted that verse so that verse 9 he might not rely on himself but on god and notice the next phrase who raises the dead what a contrast between Paul so utterly beyond his own strength that he despaired of even life, and God who raises the dead. God uses the wasting of our bodies to wean us from self-dependence. Of course, sometimes we'd say, God, thanks. Of course, sometimes we say, God, thanks for being good to me. I recognize your goodness to me in this sickness, but could you please be a little less good? <laughs> I like, to, I like things to go back to the way they were before. God loves us too much to do that. He knows that dependence on him is the source of greater happiness than health could ever bring. So by faith, we must believe this as well. In fact, God's seen In fact, it seems God has specifically designed the trajectory of our lives to teach us not to depend on ourselves. Think of the typical life of a person. He fights through adolescence and young adulthood learning to be independent where his happiness is his control. Then most likely he gets married and now his happiness depends partly on someone else but at least he has controls over who that someone else is because what normally happens, but at least he has control over who that someone else is because what normally happens next, kids, puts his happiness in the hands of someone else that he didn't pick at all. Then, when life finally begins to settle back down to just him and his wife, he even begins to lose control over his body. God is relentlessly making this point. You are not in control. Of course, the idea that we should depend on God can be confusing. After all, at least looking in from the outside, it's not like we sit back and let God move our arms and legs like some kind of puppet. Practically, this idea boils down to two basic thoughts. When things go wrong, we must learn the goodness of the, proverb, of, of the Proverbs 16 and 9. The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Living in dependence on God means that when he changes course, we are content to trust that his ways are best, rather than trying desperately to seize control and turn back in the direction we came from. The second, when things go right, we must understand that our responsibility is for faithfulness, but God's is for results, like we studied in lesson two. Living as if we depend on God means that we will naturally give Him the praise when things go well, because we recognize that everything comes from Him. Remember 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. What do you have that you have not received? We should reflect on the truth of Psalm 119 and 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So often it is pain that God uses to guide us toward a wisdom that is worth far more than the pain. Of course, seeing this in practice is far more powerful than hearing it described. So let's think about this together. How have you seen in your own life or in the life of those close to you that times of poor health have helped you live more dependent on God? And that's a question for you. I'll ask it again. How have you seen in your own life or in the life of those close to you that times of poor health have helped you live more dependent on God? Anybody got any thoughts on that? I think of a situation where uh, my mother, Um, um, she uh, displays her love for people in the things that she does. Um, Even her uh, commitment to her, her uh, Christian community, you know, she displayed her love in, you know, the cleaning of the church and um, um, being on the usher board, just things like that. And so, um, you know, life happened and she had, you know, first she had an uh, a, um, aneurysm that set her back for a little bit, but then, you know, God uh, saw fit to heal her, um, but then years later she had a stroke And now she can't physically, you know, do things. She can't act physically out in love. So now life has to um, pivot so that she can show her love in a way that is not uh, dependent on good health because it's just not there now. Um, So that's that's one thing I think about. Which kind of leads us to purpose three poor health gives others opportunity to serve listen to how paul describes his experience bringing the gospel to galatia in galatians four, thirteen through 15. you know it was because of a bodily ailment that i preached the gospel to you at first and though my condition was a trial to you you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of god as christ jesus If possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. It's interesting. When Paul planted churches elsewhere, he did by supporting himself while he worked a second job as a church planter. But the churches in Galatia seem to have come about through his dependency. Not through strength, but through sickness. Often, that's exactly how God uses poor health. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Poor health forces us to depend on others. How does God use this for good? Well, first of all, poor health corrects the lie that worth is found through productivity. Jared is, is, is cleansing when I said that, but corrects the lie that worth is found through productivity. Remember, we are, we are evaluated as stewards based on our faithfulness, not our productivity. But that is such a hard truth to learn, isn't it? God often uses sickness and disability to wean our sense of self-worth off of what we can do. Remember, God doesn't need you to accomplish what he wants. But in his good pleasure, God has given you work to do in order to show off his work in you. That is your worth and your value. Secondly, it creates an opportunity to glorify God by depending on others. You could call this the ministry of dependence. How sad is it when a once strong person becomes a pain to be around because they cannot stand having to depend on others? It seems that Paul in Galatia accomplished far more by depending on others in his ailment than he could have done in his health. When you depend on others, you give them the opportunity to glorify God in their service to you. And your dependence models contentedness with God's will. You may end up serving them far more than they serve you with an example of godliness that's hard to see when you're healthy. Thirdly, it encourages the faith of others. The experience of watching God deliver your body... Or your faith, even if he doesn't deliver your body, could, exact, could be exactly what someone else needs to strengthen their own faith. And when you stand before him in heaven, the difficulty of your struggle will pale next to the faith, which Peter says is of greater worth than gold. So we move to purpose number four. Poor health makes us long for heaven. At the beginning of this class, we described where sickness comes from. In the mercy and judgment of God's curse in the garden. But we didn't describe its future, which for us is glorious. Revelation 21 and 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Every sickness you face is temporary because when God finally sets creation free from its bondage to corruption, there will be no more sickness. Your diseased and disabled and pain-ridden body will be be replaced with one that is glorious beyond compare. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul sees the wasting of his earthly body or tent as he calls it, as a reminder that he is headed to heaven. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. No matter how your health may be today, your body is getting ready for the grave. Have you seen those magazine ads with photos of men in their 60s with non-photoshopped bodies that look like they belong to a 20-year-old? It doesn't matter if what they're selling works or not. It's only temporary. The battle to preserve our bodies is a battle we will all lose. But that's no reason to despair is simply a reminder that in a few short years, we'll be able to cast off these bodies and to quote Paul, be swallowed up by life. As we close our time together, let me leave you with a few practical points for what faithful stewardship looks like when health is lacking. So first of all, we need to be able to accept a different role. Um, The author of this uh, lesson gives an example of uh, a lady who um, served, I guess just like the example I gave you of my mother, you know, she served the church in one way, but then sickness struck her family, and she couldn't do those things that she used to do. So, in the example, this lady started uh, writing letters to people in the church to encourage them. And so at the lady's funeral, her pastor uh, asked people who had ever received a a letter or a note of encouragement from the the lady to raise their hands, and hundreds of people, hands went up. So the thought is, if you, just like with our money and our time, the capacity God gives us in our health is no accident. We will do well to contentedly accept changing capacity and continue to do what is good. We can't just let our service and the things that we can't uh, just despair uh, just because we experience what we all highly, what what there's a high possibility that we all will experience poor health So two, we need to be wise and taken. An, taking action sometimes it seems that there's a contradiction between taking acti- actions ourselves and trusting God but when we understand faithfulness as the goal of a steward <clears throat> this contradiction disappears God's normal means of preserving our health excuse me <clears throat> God's normal means of preserving our health is his common grace of is his common grace of the medical community. Refusing to make use of these resources because we trust God to heal is a bit like saying, I'm too special to merely have God's normal means of provision. I want him to provide in a way that is fantastic, that shows how special I am to him. No, think about how we trust God to provide in our retirement. And yet save up money if he's given us the ability to in order to be faithful to in order to be faithful as his stewards in the same way we pursue medical care for our health in order to be faithful as his stewards all the time trusting him for whatever healing he provides be it through his normal means of provision or something that is extraordinary or miraculous third trust in God. That said, our primary goal when we're suffering from poor health is not to preserve our bodies, it is to preserve our faith. All suffering is a battle for faith and suffering is what shows our faith to be genuine. So don't put your faith in your odds of recovery or in your doctor's reassuring words, or in your plan of action, or in that next therapy that someone's aunt's cousin said worked wonders, wonders for her. Instead, pursue care to be faithful, as we just said, but trust in God. And trusting in God doesn't mean presuming that he'll heal. After all, what, what promise has he given us for healing in this life? Trusting in God means trusting that he has power to heal in this life and the promise that one day on the other side of death, all will be healed. Trusting in God means trusting that whether he chooses to heal in life or in death, his decision is best because he knows and loves us. That's the peace that transcends transcends all understanding, that we are in the strong hands of a loving God. Lastly, keep your mind focused on heaven. This world is passing away. Your body is passing away. The the reality of a perfected reality is drawing soon. So live as a pilgrim in this world with that heavenly city as your home. Alan Gardner suffered much in his life of 57 years. In the mid 19th century, he served as a missionary in many places from New Guinea to South Africa to South America, often having to leave because of hostile conditions. In 1851, he arrived in Terra del Fuego to tell the people there the good news of Jesus. But his landing didn't go well. A boat was lost, his food was stolen, and food and water disappeared. He and his fellow missionary, Dr. Williams, died on the beach. But when a rescue party arrived a few weeks later, they found not just the men's bodies, but their diaries. Their writing told the story of hunger, thirst, wounds, and loneliness, but the last entries written in a shaking hand were the most amazing. Williams had written, let all my beloved ones at home rest assured I was happy beyond expression the night I wrote these lines and would not have changed situations with any man living. That heaven and love and Christ, which means one and the same divine thing were in my heart. And Gardner simply, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. They're stranded on the island, starving to death, no hope in sight. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. This world suggests that without health, all is lost but jesus has a better way he is the author of health he is the great physician he is good and has good plans for you no matter the state of the body's decay no matter your health the greatest joy is bound up in our service to him and even more as we draw near to heaven let's pray father We will all see the day where this life fades. You may see fit to it that we see that very quickly or that we transition in a slow fashion. One thing is for sure, Lord, we will all pass from this life. Help us be good, faith, good and faithful stewards of the time that we have, of the health we have, whether that's good or bad. Help us to cling to you. Help us to, to rest in the fact that we're in your arms and you are good and you do good. And everything is for our good and your glory. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.